0: Welcome Lakeshore, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome Smyrna campus, we're so glad you're with us. All of you that are joining us online, we're glad you're connected with us that way and are here with us today. We are starting a brand new series today called Changed. And as you can see from that clip that we just saw, there's always, I think, at the new year, there are a lot of people thinking about the changes they need to make. Uh, hopefully, improvements that they want to make in their lives. And and so sometimes we make resolutions. We make lists of things that we want to commit to doing better in 2019. And and I know there's nothing wrong with that. There's some good to that. There really is. Self-examination, evaluation of things that may not have been what they should have been, and then that, that, that desire to do better. That's a good thing. The problem with it is resolutions are often not kept, not for very long at least. We start out strong and we have good intentions, but we don't always get it done consistently. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons is we try to do it in our own strength, by our own just sheer strength and determination, willpower, that we're going to do better. And, and the change that really needs to happen needs to happen from within. And the greatest source of power we have for change from within is Jesus. It's the presence of His Spirit in us. It's the power and the provision that He gives us that transforms us from the inside out. And in this series, what we're going to be looking at is individuals who had encounters with Jesus that changed them for the better, that took them from where they were to a better place in their lives, and how Jesus presence and Jesus power and Jesus provision is the source of that change of that transformation that took place in their lives there was a family that had taken their kids to a church service that they usually attended this church and they were having a special service for children and in that service they were talking about God's plan for children and God's will for the children and how they needed to dedicate themselves to raising their children to know God and love God and they had a great service, and on the way home in the car, all of a sudden, the little girl that they had taken, their little young daughter in the back seat, just busted out crying, just crying uncontrollably. They said, Honey, what's wrong? What's the matter? And she just couldn't control. So she couldn't get her composure. Finally, they got to the house, and they pulled into the parking lot and put the car in, part in, the, in the driveway, put the car in park, turned it off. said, Now, calm down, honey. Whatever it is, it's going to be Okay. They finally got her calmed down, and they said, now tell us, dear, what is wrong that's got you so upset? She said, well, you know, you heard the preacher, didn't you? They said, yeah. He said, well, the preacher said he wanted all of us to be raised in a Christian home, but I want to stay here with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, isn't it, that our walk doesn't always match our talk. You know, and even our desires, even what we say we want to do and be committed to as a Christ follower, our walk doesn't always match up with that, does it? And so in this series, we're really going to be looking at how we can really make those transformational changes, those improvements that that we know need to happen, that we understand if we're honest with ourselves. None of us has arrived yet. We're all on this journey. We're all supposed to be growing and transforming over time. But we want to be sure we keep going in the right direction and not backing up. So so in these encounters that we're looking at, we're going to see how those improvements can happen. Someone has said this. I, I love it. The biggest room in the house is the room for improvement. It's true in my house. It's probably true in yours too, right? The biggest room in the house is the room for improvement. The first biblical character we're going to look at in this series is a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is someone who needs to change. There's good about his life. In fact, there's some really good things about his life. But there were still some changes that needed to happen, some things that needed to, how he needed to be transformed in certain areas of his life. And what what we're looking at today with Nicodemus is how he needs to change from laws and formality to a real relationship with Jesus. From laws and formality of strictly keeping laws to really having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think we would all have to agree that there are people who would consider themselves very religious that we might even consider to be very religious people but they're frustrated they're overbearing they are legalistic and they have very little joy in their lives yet they claim to be very religious people in fact most unchurched people say it's these people that turn them off to christianity It's these kinds of people that keep them from wanting to have what we're supposed to have in Christ because they don't see any real joy there. They don't see any real abiding happiness and joy in how they follow Jesus. And a lot of that has to do with legalism. And and you can't control how you were raised. None of us can. But some people were raised very religious but in a very strict legalistic environment as they were raised, where it was all about keeping the rules and, and keeping them perfectly and never messing up and always doing the right thing. And, and if you don't do the right thing, there's the guilt trip, there's the, there's the, there's the uh, legalistic approach of condemning and condemning and condemning because you're not measuring up. And when you're raised with that, it's hard to break away from it. Uh, Legalism, I want you to to understand the difference between what we're talking about today. Legalism could be defined as man's effort to reach God through doing all the right things all the time. That's what legalism is really all about. It's a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And as long as you keep that strictly, you're good with God. But if you don't follow the rules well... You can never be right with God. Now, Christianity, on the other hand, is different. Christianity is God's effort to reach man. It's all about how he came down. We just celebrated Christmas, right? How he came down in the flesh to be that example for us, to provide a payment for us, a sacrifice for us, because we can't keep all the laws perfectly in our lives. We can't get it right all the time. None of us have, and none of us will. Here's what you need to know about legalism. It is impossible for legalism to save you. It's impossible. You know why? You can't do it. You can't keep it up. Neither can I. There's not a single person who's walked in the flesh other than Jesus who has kept the law perfectly. He's the only one. That's why He needed to come to us. And that's why we need to learn we can't get to Him through legalism, through the keeping of the laws. Now, it doesn't make the law bad. The law is not a bad thing. We're not saying that that God's law is evil in any way. It's not. God gave us the law with a plan and a purpose to teach us our need for a Savior. Because none of us could keep the law. From the law, we learn God's will. That's a good thing. We learn what God's pleased with. That's a good thing. But we also learn that we can't measure up to it. And because we can't measure up to it, we need a Savior. So we want to learn from Nicodemus. Because here's the thing about Nicodemus. He was a good man. If you were to ask people who knew him in that day and time, my guess is they would say this about Nicodemus. A great guy. So religious. I mean, he, he does the right things. And he doesn't do the bad stuff. Not Nicodemus. He follows God's law. He, he honors God by keeping God's law consistently in his life. His whole life was about adhering to the law. How do we know that? Because the scripture reveals it to us. In fact, the most famous passage in all of Scripture comes from Nicodemus' first encounter with Jesus. It's found in John chapter 3. If you want to open up your Bibles there or pull it up on your tablet or smartphone, we'll put these verses up on the screen as well. The first thing we want to see today is his first encounter where Nicodemus meets Jesus for the very first time because it's during this encounter that this great famous passage that we all probably have learned or at least heard comes from this encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus. John 3, beginning with verse 1, it says this. Now there was, what's that word? Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. You know how we know he was a keeper of the law? Because he was a what? A Pharisee. The Pharisees were known for being very strict about the law. They were the ones who more than anybody else in that culture would know the law inside and out. Every detail of it. Only the Pharisees believed so much in rule keeping that they didn't just stop with God's law. They thought, God, you didn't quite cover everything. So we'll help you out. So in addition to God's law, they had over 300 more laws that they had written and that they held people accountable to that they had to follow. And they put them on equal level with God's law. And said, these are just as important. You have to keep these too. That's how strict they were. You see, they took God's law and they broke it down into even more detail to spell out specifically. Like God's law said not to work on the Sabbath. They said you could only travel this far. If you take one step further, you broke the law. You worked that day. Can't go any further than that. God didn't say that, but they said they added that law. So so here they are. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Now, what I want you to understand, we're going to read the rest of this encounter, but I want you to understand that not everything about being a Pharisee was bad, and not all Pharisees, sometimes they were condemned in Scripture, and Jesus even condemned the Pharisees a lot of times. Not every Pharisee was an evil person doing evil things. Nicodemus doesn't seem to be a bad guy in any way. Let's read this encounter. A Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What has Nicodemus' whole life been about? Keeping the law. Following the law. And Jesus just made a statement that rocked his world. You can't see God Even you, Nicodemus, who's been following this law all the time, unless you're what? Born again. I mean, this must have been the most shocking thing Nicodemus could have heard from Jesus. And he's confused by it. Look at verse 4. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's thinking of... The science of this. He's thinking of the physical nature of this. He said, you know, an older person can't climb back up in the womb and, and get born again. How in the world could this really happen? What are you talking about, man? This is crazy. Now, he didn't. He had too much respect for Jesus as a teacher to say he was crazy, but he had to be thinking it. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of Water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying to Nicodemus, good luck with trying to understand this, buddy. You'll never understand it. You just have to accept it. By faith. says you can't see the wind coming you don't know when it's going to appear or where it's going to go but it's there right he's saying the same thing is true with being born of the spirit you don't have control over this you can't manipulate it but it is real and that's what needs to happen if you want to see God now that translation see God means abide in the presence of God you cannot abide in the presence of God unless you are born again born of water and the spirit he says and then he says to Nicodemus, you, you can't really understand it. So he gives some more illustrations, but then we pick up with that verse that everybody's heard. If you haven't heard it spelled out, spoken uh, completely, you've at least seen the sign at a football game. John 3, 16. Let's pick up there. He says, for, this is Jesus still talking to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now when Jesus speaks these words to Nicodemus, immediately a conflict arises for Him. Immediately, he has to start wrestling with his whole history, his whole life. His whole life has been about keeping the rules. His whole life has been about being strict and enforcing the rules on everybody else, too. And the idea was, in order for God to love you, in order for God to be pleased with you, in order for God to accept you, you have to have kept all the rules. Otherwise... God is mad at you and God will not welcome you into his presence. And yet here he says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Wait a minute. What about keeping the rules? What about being strict about abiding by the law? Shouldn't that get us something? Shouldn't that get us in if we're good enough? You see, that's the way even Christians today are approaching their faith. You ask them, if you die today, do you know for sure you would go to heaven? And they say, I hope so. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a good person. As if somehow you're going to be good enough to be allowed in. And Jesus just rocked that belief. Out of the water. He just blew it up. You're not going to get in that way. That's not how you enter into the presence of God. You see, because God didn't send him here to condemn the world. You see, the law condemns is what it does. It exposes our sin. It shows us the need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. That's what the law does. And Jesus didn't come here to condemn. He came here to do what? to save, to redeem us from our sin. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Nicodemus had to wrestle with whether or not he could stop being driven by following the letter of the law and be transformed into accepting that he could never do that Perfectly. And if he accepted that. Here was the question in his mind. Could God still love him. If he hadn't kept the law perfectly. Would God still accept him. And welcome him into his presence. If he had not kept the law perfectly. And could it be that God could still save him. Even if he came short. Could it be. That this man Jesus. Jesus. Was the one through whom he could have that salvation? Could it be that this man Jesus is showing him the way. To be in the presence of the Father forever. It was hard for him to accept. And I don't think all at once in that one encounter. That everything changed for Nicodemus. That needed to change. But one thing did change. He began to question He began to question for the first time whether or not his righteous deeds would get him into heaven. He began to question for the first time, could other people get into heaven who didn't keep the law as well as he did? Who had messed up more than he messed up? Who failed more than he failed? But he had to know he failed too. He had to know, in all honesty, he had not kept the law perfectly either. You see, we may not all look like it or act like it, but when when we are born again, we become children of the king. That's what Jesus is saying. You become his child when you have the second birth. You become a child of the king, welcome in his presence when you are born again. And how are you born again? He says we are born of water and spirit. Scholars have struggled with this a lot, especially those churches that don't want to connect baptism with salvation. It can't be talking about that water, can it? It must be talking about being born of water, that's the physical birth, or the amniotic fluid of, of, the, of the physical birth, and then you get spiritually reborn. That must be what Jesus is talking about. The problem with that interpretation is that's not the word that's used in the original language. There was a Greek word for the amniotic fluid, that's not the one he uses. He doesn't use the word they always use for the birth water. You know, when a woman says, my water broke, that's the birth water, Right? Jesus is not saying you've got to be born that way and then born by the Spirit. That's not what he's saying because that's not the word that's used. The word that's used there, you know what it means? Water. That's why it's translated water. He says you must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, do you know the only thing scripturally that connects the water and the Spirit? You know what it is? Baptism. In Acts 2, 38, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive what? The gift of the Spirit. When do you connect water and Spirit in the New Testament? In baptism. In Romans 6, beginning with verse 3, he said this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What do we want? New birth, new life. When does that happen? When we are buried with Christ in baptism into his death and then we're raised up with him in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the new birth that God is saying allows us then to have new life A life where we're welcome into His presence as His children. We're born into His kingdom through that process. That's why it needs to be connected with, if you decide you want to follow Jesus, what should you do? Be baptized into new life in Christ. You don't need to wait. You don't need to put it off. Because that's the process of going from not being in that kingdom to being in that kingdom. The Bible says all of us who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's the new life. That's the new birth that God is calling us to. Because here's the thing. Your righteousness and my righteousness is like filthy rags, the Scripture says. Whose righteousness do we need? The righteousness of Jesus. When we're baptized into Christ, we put on His righteousness. And take away our own filthiness that we're trying to be so righteous about. And we put on His Well, we gain the hope of eternity by submitting to the second birth that that delivers us from the second death. And we do that through faith and repentance and being baptized into Christ. The second time we see Nicodemus encounter Jesus is different. It's when the heat is on and Christ has become the talk of the town with his miracles and his teaching. And the religious leaders are feeling threatened by Jesus' popularity. And they send out some people, some servants to get Jesus and bring him back for questioning. They ordered the guards to bring Jesus back to them. And this is where we see Nicodemus defends Jesus. So he went from meeting Jesus to now, after encountering Jesus, getting to know about him, now he starts defending Jesus. When they brought Jesus, uh, they sent the guards out to get him, they don't come back with Jesus. And they, they asked these religious leaders, these Pharisees, ask them, why didn't you bring Jesus in to us like we told you to? Look at John 7, beginning with verse 46. Here's what they said about Jesus. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. In other words, they had gone to get Jesus, but when they went to get him, they heard him. They listened to him. And they saw something and heard something they'd never seen and heard before. They were so enamored by and impressed by Jesus and His presence and His teaching that they felt like, it'd be crazy for us to arrest this guy. It'd be crazy for us to bring him in. We're the ones that need to be listening to him, not us taking him in to listen to us. But notice the response of the religious leaders. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers... Or of the Pharisees believed in Him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Do you notice the attitude of these religious leaders? They are very condescending. Nicodemus tries to defend Jesus. He he at least says, you know, shouldn't we give him the benefit of the doubt? We don't need to consider him guilty without even talking to him and finding out more about what's going on. He's trying to defend him without putting himself in a bad position. But these religious leaders, they use something that a lot of people use in our culture today. They try to act like, we're the intelligent people, and it's only the people who are not very intelligent that are fooled by Jesus. Who are fooled by this Christianity thing. Don't you find that arrogant, condescending attitude in our culture today? There are people at our highest educational levels of some of our greatest educational institutions who will challenge Poor, naive Christians in their classrooms because they just don't get it. They, they don't understand that what you're saying about Jesus couldn't possibly be true. It, it's ancient history. It's, it's something that's just myth. And it's, it couldn't have really happened. And, and if you were really intelligent, you wouldn't be fooled by that stuff. That's what they're saying. They're saying, let me ask you something. Yeah, talking to the guards. Do you see any of us religious leaders believing in Jesus? Of course not. We're too smart for that. We know the law too well. It's you poor ignorant people that don't know the law that are being fooled by Jesus. And Nicodemus, he had to have still been struggling with whether or not he believed in Jesus. Because he didn't go right along with these guys. He didn't say, yeah, what you're saying is right. Let's, let's, let's get this guy arrested. Let's take care of him. He didn't, he didn't join in with that. What Nicodemus is saying is, shouldn't we all listen to this guy a little more and find out a little bit more about what's going on here? Nicodemus is admitting, we need to give this guy a fair chance. He may have something to tell us that we need to hear. Let's approach this differently. Nicodemus is working to try to get them to approach it differently. And then they ridicule him. You see, Jesus was kind of known as being from Galilee, right? So, so uh, he was born in Bethlehem, but he he grew up uh, in Galilee, and they thought, well, if you read the law, if you knew the law, Nicodemus, like you're supposed to, you would know that no prophets come out of Galilee. I mean, that's a pod-up little place. God didn't bring anything good out of Galilee. And another passage they say of Jesus, what good could come out of Nazareth, right? The town in Galilee where he grew up. Had a bad reputation. Certainly God wouldn't have one of his prophets coming out of a place like that. How condescending can you get? How judgmental can you be? To say a blanket statement like that. And they're trying to make Nicodemus feel foolish for giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. for Actually thinking maybe we, we need to learn more about him and hear more of his teaching instead of just condemning him right up front. Here's what I think we can learn from Nicodemus. Even today, when you defend Jesus, you can expect some ridicule and maybe even some verbal abuse for doing it. I get it all the time. Maybe you do too. Maybe at work, if you try to be that Christian example that you want to be there, they make fun of you. Maybe even some of your own family members that think, That's so crazy for you to give money to that church. You know all they want is your money, right? They're just taking advantage of you. Why in the world would you give money to them? You see, it can come from a lot of sources. Even people that you think love you and care about you. And maybe they do, but but they've misunderstood this idea that you should be devoted to Jesus. Why would you give up your Sunday to to go attend a church service when there's a ball game you could be getting to early and, and tailgating instead of attending the service? Not that any of you do that, but I'm just saying. Just throwing it out there. You see, there are still people here who have the attitude, really smart people aren't going to be fooled by this Christianity thing. So if you're actually going to be devoted to the church, it means you're one of the fundamentalists. (laughs) Emphasis on the Duh. You can't be a very intelligent person. But if you look throughout history, some of the most intelligent, intellectually superior minds in the world have believed in and followed Jesus. You can't decide it based on do smart people accept it and do dumb people accept it. That's not how you judge something. You look at it for its own credibility, you examine it to see if there 's evidence to support your faith and that 's all Nicodemus was trying to do is do the smart thing by examining the evidence to see, is this guy somebody we ought to be listening to? Has he got something that we could learn that he needs to teach us? Jim Dennison was a missionary to Eastern Malaysia, and he told of a young teen girl that they were holding a house church there. Uh, they had to do it secretly and uh, they got the word out, and families would come, and individuals would come to services in their home. And this teenage girl came to one of their services and decided she wanted to follow Jesus, and she wanted to get baptized, and they were going to baptize her in the, in the uh, bathtub there at the house. But she had to go home and get some clothes to change into, and she came back. She was carrying a suitcase. And one of the other members there said uh, to her, what's the suitcase for? Oh, she said, oh, when I went home, my dad said, if I came here and became a Christian, not to ever come back home again. I would be dead to them. So I just packed up everything and came. Because I'm ready for my new life. See, we Christians get upset with a little bit of ridicule. We, we get embarrassed if somebody makes fun of us. There's still people in other parts of the world that give up everything to follow Jesus. And risk their very lives. But there's always a price to be paid for defending Jesus. By stepping up and and coming alongside him and saying that you support him and his teachings. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We see Nicodemus encounter Jesus one more time. And it's after Jesus has died. He's been crucified. And he and Joseph of Arimathea come to get the body of Jesus down off that cross and take care of it. It's found in John 19 where Nicodemus takes another step to identify with Jesus now. To say, I'm, I'm going to be connected to him. In verse 38 of John 19, it says, Later, after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by whom? Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now here's a couple of things you need to know. For Nicodemus to show up and do this meant that he didn't care anymore about what the crowd said. You see, to do this was to say, I know you rejected him, you nailed him to a cross. But I'm not rejecting him. Even, even though he's died on this cross, I'm going to honor him and I'm going to care for him. I don't care if I'm identified with him at this point. And that would be putting him in danger, by the way, because if they crucified Jesus, what were they going to do to his followers? But here Nicodemus is willing to risk everything to take care of Jesus, to minister to Jesus. There's another hint here that if you know Jewish burial customs, you you could catch this. If not, you wouldn't catch it. Notice it specifically says he brought 75 pounds of these burial supplies. Myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds. That's how they treated the body after it had died. But they didn't use 75 pounds for everybody. He only used 75 pounds. That was the amount they used when they buried royalty kings. Nicodemus is identifying Jesus as his king. That he loves and that he's going to care for. And he's not worried about what's going to happen to him if the people know that he considers Jesus his king. He's willing to risk whatever needs to be risked. He's willing to take the abuse. He's willing to to be punished if it need be to be identified with Jesus. He's not going to back down now. You see the transformation that's happened? He went from being one of those who thought he could be righteous by following the law to understanding that nothing was more important than being identified with Jesus. Remember Jesus said, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Nicodemus is proclaiming, I believe this is the one in whom I can have my salvation. It's no longer about the law. It's no longer about following the rules. It's now all about identifying with Christ, belonging to Him, being with Him. There was a girl who came home from her preschool classes one day Uh, They had a a church preschool that the parents sent her to. And she came home from preschool, had just started going there, and had been going there a short time. And they said, well, how was school today? And she said, it was great. It was really good. But Jesus wasn't there today. They kind of got tickled a little bit at their daughter and said, who wasn't there? And she said, Jesus wasn't there today. He had to go out of town, but he'll be back tomorrow. And they were really, you know, Thought it was funny, but they were still a little bit confused and they wanted to dig a little deeper. So, so they went to the school and visited and they got to, to talking and they, they found out that, that the little girl was talking about the custodian at the church. You see, every day he would stop by the preschool and speak to the children. And he had a great smile and he just loved the kids and the kids loved him. And the little girl had just assumed, that must be Jesus. So here's the question. Are you so closely identified with Jesus that people would think that of you? There was a saying in the Jewish community, are you covered in the dust of your rabbi? Do you follow Jesus so closely that his dust is all over you? If you were not to be at work tomorrow... Maybe they wouldn't say it. Maybe they wouldn't admit it. But would they feel a void? A vacuum there where Jesus was when you were there? And they don't feel it and sense it when you're not there? At school? At the store? Are you so closely identified with Jesus that people feel his presence when they're around you? You see, that's the transforming power of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not about strictly keeping the law. It's about walking closely with Jesus. See, here's the thing about walking closely with Jesus. When you do that, you make better choices. When you do that, you don't choose to do those bad things. That you're sometimes tempted to do when you're walking closely with Jesus you're not comfortable saying those things acting that way when you're walking closely with Jesus when you know you're there with him and he's there with you uh, you want to be that good influence you want to help other people find Jesus and introduce them to that that Jesus that you know and that you walk so closely with it changes how you live completely you see a relationship with Jesus is what transforms you not the law Not even keeping the letter of the law. It's just getting to know Jesus better. And following Him more closely. Here's what you need to know. Legalism can't save you. It never will. A relationship with Christ is the only way to salvation. I like this saying. I heard it from another pastor. Trying to be good enough isn't good enough. Trying to be good enough isn't good enough. It never will be. Our relationship with Christ is the only way. And notice what Jesus said. He didn't leave any loopholes with Nicodemus. You see, when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again of water and spirit, he didn't say, or believe whatever you want, or just be a good person, or just have good standards and morals. That's not what he said, is it? He said, if you want to be in the presence of God, you must be what? Born again of water and spirit. That's the only way. No loopholes. Not, well, Well, uh, I, I, I just try to be, I'm, I'm spiritual. I love how people tell me all the time how spiritual they are. I, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a spiritual person. Well, I'm glad you're a spiritual person, but that won't get you into the presence of God. It won't. You must be what? born again no loopholes no other way and you can only be born again through christ for being united with him in his death burial and resurrection john 14 6 jesus closed every loophole he said this i am the way and the truth and the life no one who no one comes to the father except through me all loopholes have been closed He is the only way to enter into the presence of the Father and dwell there. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for the example of Nicodemus and his encounters with Jesus. For many people, maybe even some listening to this message today, it's been all about trying to earn their way in, trying to do all the right things, trying to never mess up. And it's good that they want to live a good life, Father, but help them to know that it's not by their own effort that they're ever going to get there. It's only through what Jesus Christ has already done for them on the cross. And if there's anyone today that needs to take that step today, new birth is available. People can be born again right here, right now, by repenting of sin, professing their faith in Christ, and coming to be buried with Him in baptism, uniting with His death, and then be raised up to new life Being born again by the Spirit that comes through that relationship with Jesus. And may they walk up and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not their own. Father, may all of us who have taken that step already understand that we want to honor Him and we want to serve Him. We want to be a good example for Him. But it's all about that relationship with Him. Not that we're doing everything right that keeps us In right standing with you. We're in right standing with you because we are your children through our relationship with Jesus. I thank you for that honor and that privilege. If there's one here who needs to take that step today, we pray that they would come. Amen.